Hello and welcome to the Andrew Ferris Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the show. Today, I have a great guest, Wayne Borromeo. Oh gosh, did I just say your name right? No, that was perfect. Yeah, did that's, I? that was amazing. Yeah, great I'm going to leave this in then. So people know I got him on the first try. I was fully going to pause and go for an edit and I was no, going to wait was... and have you wait. But there's Wayne I right was there. actually, I was worried, but no, you got it, 100%. Okay, awesome. Wayne Borromeo, the president and co-founder of Wondry Outdoors, a brand that is really cool, has had a super hit product really take off in the last year. And there's a whole lot of stuff that we could talk about with all of that. And so we're going to. We're going to talk about Wayne's journey with Wondery and how they've gotten to where they've gotten to looking at being an eight-figure brand and just really, really cool success. In the midst of that, Wayne also has taken up my suggestion on this show repeated times with my sponsor, More Staffing, to add talent from the Philippines to his business. So technically, this is a sponsored episode because Wayne and I will take five minutes in this episode and talk about his experience onboarding a team member from the Philippines with More Staffing. And he, we're just going to explain why and how that has all worked and if there's been any hiccups with it and how that employee and team member has worked out. But don't worry, this is not going to be crappy. Don't hear sponsored and think crappy content. It's going to be good content where you're going to like it because Wayne's story is awesome. So let's not delay it any further. Wayne Borromeo, Wondry. Let's jump in. Wayne Borromeo, I've got it right. I'm very happy about that. Thanks so much for joining me and for talking about Wondry and everything. What kind of name is Borromeo? It's rooted in Spanish and Italian, but I'm Filipino. So that's kind of where the, the roots of the last name comes from. You're supposed to roll the R. I don't roll the R. So Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. My wife is a, is a, she was a Spanish teacher for a long time and is an excellent Spanish speaker. And so she probably would have gotten the roll R is what I'm saying here. Cause she would have had it. She would have had it. She would have had it nailed. What were you saying? No, no, I sometimes I can't even roll the R, so I, I just go Borromeo. Just plain, simple, easy. Wayne, Wondery is a really cool brand. I was telling you before we started talking that I actually came across it independent of this conversation or anything because of how cool this sort of hero product is. And so for anybody listening right now, watching right now, make sure you go over to WonderyOutdoors.com. Of course, there's a link in the show notes to go guide you there. So you can go get a look at the product because it's a little bit tricky to... to uh, explain or to describe otherwise but for for the youtube viewers among us i will uh, i will share my screen so people can see kind of what the core product is and while i do and i i'm saying core product but you actually may not frame it quite that way but here you go here's the bottle etc while i do all of that can you please tell people about this product and how it has taken off and then we'll go from there we'll go backwards from there to talk about sort of the journey of wondery and and then also forwards to the to the future of wondery but there's the bottle yeah, so we have what we call our bucketless water bottle. We actually started with our Parks of the USA water bottle. And essentially what it is, it has all 63 national parks on it. And as you attend and go to each park, you use a corresponding creative artful sticker that our graphic designer made. And you'll sit that in placement of the etching and the engraving on the bottle. So it's a very experiential story-based product. And we have a bunch of ones for the national parks, 50 states, world destinations. Uh, we actually have one with Uncommon Goods and MLB coming out for all the MLB ballparks. And yeah, so we, we've got a huge list. The possibilities are pretty endless of it. Yeah, really, really cool. I've worked with a client that does some similar things for the world traveler gifting type. I imagine this product, this, what this product suggests to me 
is that you are about to have a monster Q4 because it feels very, very giftable, custom, personal in this really cool way. We're recording this on October 4th. And so I imagine you guys are gearing up to go have a very big holiday gifting season. Oh, yeah. Like that is honestly 90%. If yeah, 80, 90% of our sales are from this bottle alone. When this bottle went viral, it just it like when I say viral, it went like crazy viral. And we really weren't expecting it to be as strong as it was. But I, I think the the key matter of it is that it's it's experiential and it's so it's not super niche, but it's it's broad enough and it tells enough of a story that it's not just a product that you drink out of and use. It's something that says oh, hey, that's really cool. Oh, okay. Like that's what it is. And then they, you start to talk to that person and it becomes a whole dialogue, right? So that's what's so different about this product is it creates conversation and creates dialogue. And I, one of the things that you know about people who love to travel and go to national parks and stuff like that is there's nothing they are happier to do than to tell you about their stories and their experiences and all that. And so Something that's going to put that in the conversation in the center is, is really going. I bet you guys have gotten all kinds of stories from customers about like, oh, I had the bottle and therefore met this person who's become a good friend or whatever, you know, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm sure you get all kinds of cool feedback like that. Yeah, exactly. And the crazy thing, too, is there's a lot that we don't need to do with the bottle in terms of marketing, because, again, it has that story. And people, like you said, when they go to parks, all they want to do is share like, oh, I saw a half dome. It was beautiful. And we ran into a bear and, and, you know, like being able to share that, they, they just want to do that naturally, organically. So people will post this bottle like all the time on Instagram. We don't have to do anything. They just repost it in their stories. They post it in their, their main feeds on Instagram. And it's just like, awesome. That's, that works nicely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's actually walk that back a little bit further then. So you said it went viral and then you clarified it was like crazy viral, super viral, whatever. Like, so you said you developed it not expecting to have it, it hit as hard as it did. But can you go through the process there? What, when did you release it and when did it go viral? And like, was this the kind of thing where like you just immediately blew through all your inventory and created a wait list, that viral, that kind of situation? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually had, uh, so uh, on the basis, Wondery is a women's outdoor brand and we empower women and other underrepresented communities in the outdoors through our products and our experiences. Part of that initial offering was a women's outdoor subscription box. The way we keep our costs low is by including our product. So this was back in December of 2021. We needed a new product for our box. And so we thought, okay, this national park bucket list concept could be really cool. And so we posted that on Instagram and immediately we just got, you know, tons and tons of people be like, oh man, if only you offered this alone, this would be so great. This would be so awesome. And so, yeah, I mean, we took that advice and we started selling back in 2022, around June, May or June is when we started offering it. We were getting a lot of sales, fantastic sales. And then we posted a reel on it something our intern made in, you know, a good five, 10 minutes. And it just blew up. Like it's the ones that you never, you're, it's a quantity over quality thing with reels and TikToks and stuff, but yeah, it blew up. So I think like the top 1% of Instagram reels get views. I mean, from our research, get views up to like 20 mil. 
ours is currently standing about at 37.5 million in views. That's like just one of the biggest, like when I, even not just products, but like even like funny meme videos have like 20 mil, 30 mil, but like ours is like, yeah, it's at 37.5 million. It continues to get views and then it's still growing. And other people, again, like I said, they'll share this because they want to, we don't have to pay them. I mean, sure, we will pay some influencers still, but those, you know, we've gotten multiple that get million plus or 200K, 300K views. And it's just, it just keeps going. So yeah, I mean, from last year, from the bottle, I mean, we attribute a lot of that to the bottle. We've grown about 200% over last Amazing. year, just in sales. Amazing. Uh, so will this be then your first year where you really have the inventory to go nuts at holiday and in terms of like really pushing this hard? Because you said you released it in the middle of last year. Like, I'm just curious, like, I can't imagine... I'm at, here's what I here's here's my guess as to what happened. All right, you tell me if this is right. My guess is you got to holiday barely keeping yourself in stock because when something goes that viral, like, there's just no way to plan inventory for it, right? So so suddenly you are gonna you're just gonna keep running through those. Sellouts are gonna create wait lists. Every time you re-release it, you're gonna burn through all of it, is my guess as to what happens. No matter how fast you can produce the inventory, you probably can't produce it fast enough. And then at holiday. I'll take another guess. And again, you tell me if this is right. And then I'll pause. You tell me You tell me what I got right and wrong so far. At holiday, my guess is you got as much inventory as you could, sold through almost all of it and left growth on the table because you simply couldn't, you simply couldn't produce enough to go. Is that what happened? Congratulations. You did it. Yeah, that, that's 100%, 100% what it is. It's, yeah, I mean, we've done back order so many times on this bottle just because we're either really bad at forecasting or just there's just so much demand. It's just, it's, it's even, so even brands that don't have that moment, it's impossible to forecast, right? I mean, it's, it's not too different. It's just at much larger scale and much less planned scale than somebody who has an ad pop off, right? Like it's like, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, un, it's unforecastable, you know? And, it, and, it, and something that's so interesting about what you're saying here is like, somebody will listen to this and they will go walk back to like my episode with Isaac Medeiros about how we did 10 million bucks in revenue with $0 in ad spend, which is a really good episode. Isaac walks through really a strategy for creating that kind of, approach. And he's got this incredible operationalized process of how he goes and generates all of these video views and stuff like that all over the internet. But it, I think it would be a mistake to interpret your story just now in that same way where it's like, okay, how do I get 37 and a half million views? The answer is you create a freaking awesome product that resonates with people. And that is like really, really hard to do. You know, that's my sense, you know? Yeah, no, it's absolutely, you know, when, when I talk to other owners and entrepreneurs and I, I tell them, Focus on one thing and make it really, really good. I mean, we just happened to focus on this one thing and it happened to be this golden goose that's like, it's so powerful and it's so like different than what's out there. It, it, it's, it's really difficult to find that product out there because it's like what hasn't been made yet, right? But I'll tell you right now, there's multiple things that haven't been made yet. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, going back to selling out and like we're, we will probably sell out again this year. We just started exploring Amazon as a, a channel and yeah, we sold out of that in two weeks. So now we're like, okay, let's allocate more inventory to Amazon. Let's allocate more inventory to wholesale. And it's just like, we can't, it's really hard. Like you said, you can't measure that demand. It's just, it's, it's well, different. and if, 
If you sold out at holiday last year, it means your forecast is going to be sort of guesswork for this year for holiday, right? Like you've, especially after creating all of the views that you've created in the last year, right? So, so like my guess is that like, if you sell out again this year, yeah, it's just going to be, it's just going to be really, really hard to know that. And that's what's so, I mean, it's awesome ultimately in terms of about where this business is. So are, how much are you guys spending on ads or what, what can you say about that to people relative to how much of this has just been pure organic, you know? growth. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. We're spending, I mean, we're definitely spending six figures a month on our meta ads. I think right now we're a little over a quarter mil a month, if not a little bit more than that. I think maybe even 300, but yeah, our, our kind of goal with that, we measure in cost per purchase. So our goal since 80, 90% of our sales are from that bottle. We have a benchmark, and then as long as we stay below that benchmark, then we just we keep scaling. We work with our CFO to say, okay, this your MER can you know only get to this point. If it gets lower than that point, then you need to scale back. So that's kind of how we're building it, and it's very very helpful that our margins we have probably a 10x on this product, close to a 10x in in terms of margin cost to the actual sale yeah it's awesome yeah i mean that's fantastic then you should be spending a bunch of money as long as you can as long as you can do it like as you know so that's great so you launched the bottle before that it was more women's outdoor more broadly including apparel and a lot of that sort of stuff right has that been almost frustrating in its own way too because i know it sounds like that wasn't the original vision for the brand and tell me how you've thought about sort of transitioning things over because you said you know you you wanted to launch to have an outdoor brand that served women and other underrepresented communities in the outdoor space. And so the bottle obviously can do that, but it sounds like relative to the original vision of the brand, and then my guess is to where you eventually still want to go, this creates sort of a, an existential crisis in the brand of like, okay, who are we now, right? Relative to what you were producing before and where should we put our product development energy and all those kinds of things. Yep, fantastic insight. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, so I mean, for us, and for me, with my co-founder, her and I started this seven and a half years ago, our original vision was really to get women outdoors. And yeah, with this bottle, that kind of creates this weird conundrum of, okay, this is doing really well. What, you know, what now? But I think because our original vision and goal aligns with getting women in other underrepresented communities outdoors, that's still what we're trying to do. So what we're doing with this bottle is it sells itself. And so what we can do with that is we can use that money to fund our core value and our core mission. Now, I'm not going to lie. We've talked about, okay, do we start a sister company that's just primarily water bottles? Because, you know, that wouldn't be a bad idea either. But uh, you got to go we, the other way. You got to go the other way. This, Wondry, Wondry is the water bottle at that point, right? So you, the sister company now is the apparel brand or whatever. Exactly, right? exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I, I think we came in at a time where, I mean, 2016. So COVID really boosted like everyone going to REI and places like Outdoor Voices, all, all these outdoor brands, even Outdoor Voices is kind of like kind of outdoor, kind of athletic athleisure but yeah i think it's you know like that is the root of our mission so like a lot of 
big things that we do is it's community driven. And, you know, I, I've heard on, you know, your podcasts and other podcasts, too, it's just like, that's such a core aspect, especially right now with, you know, CPAs just, you know, costs rising for, for ads. So it's like keeping that community. So with our apparel and with our events, cause we have 200, 300 people plus events. And so, and people are buying our apparel. So that is like, if we got rid of our bottle, like we would be okay. Like we wouldn't be at the growth that we're at, but we would still be fine. So I think there is still a lot of value in that space in our mission to empower women and other underrepresented communities. But yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. It is, it, it's a difficult balance that we're playing. But I mean, my whole team, we're, we're super dedicated to that mission. And, you know, we are making really awesome, different women's outdoor apparel that really is like exciting. Like I'm seeing our apparel out and about. Like the other day I was at a coffee shop, someone was wearing our pants. The other day I was at the mall and someone was, you know, holding our water bottle. It's just like, it's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like the success of the bottle actually says nothing about the potential success of the, of the rest of the product line, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure the apparel is up, just given what you're saying about the mission and all that is stuff that you guys have put a lot of time and thought and effort. I know, I know how founders think about their core products and things like this. You're putting meaningful time and effort into making it good and to making sure that you're serving your customers well and fixing all the little things that come up and, you know, apparel, it's like, oh, size and fit and like all that stuff. Got to get it exactly right. And does it wear down too fast, especially for some outdoors, it's performance oriented, et cetera. And I know, I mean, I know, I know the relationship of founders to, to these kinds of problems. And so I'm sure that's the case, but it is an interesting thing to think through, you know, as you go to MLB bottles, for example, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty far away from, from women's outdoor pants. Do you think you'll start a side brand or do you think you'll, or do you think you'll, uh, you'll keep it all in, in one thing? What's the, what's the solution? I think we're still gonna keep it all in house to this one brand for now, especially if we want to drive those apparel sales. Because, like you said, we're spending so much time and energy on this apparel, and yeah, it's there's a personal emotional investment in that portion. But there is also so much opportunity, especially right now with so many people getting outdoors, and like we're building that community. So. And we can build that through our apparel and through, you know, our other products. So it's like, it's another opportunity there. And it's like, we might as well, if this bottle is, you know, helping us get there and like, we don't have to take out loans because these sales are doing fantastic. Then it's like, why not? Let's give it a shot. What can you say about, and I don't, I don't know if this is something you have thought carefully about, about LTV on bottles versus apparel. I'm sure that the bottles is very low. So let's let's ask this question in two parts. Part number one, what's the difference in the LTV and those two things? Part number two, are you able to get bottle people to buy apparel? And that would feel like a tall task to me. That would be, my guess is it would be a very, very hard thing on the one hand. On the other hand, with the National Parks kind of component of this, you are getting, you're sort of pre-qualifying that this is at least somewhat the right person, at least the females amongst them. So yeah, so talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, th I mean, you're thinking about all the things that we've been thinking about for the holiday time and LTV and can we convert bottle buyers to buyers or is it easier to convert pant buyers to bottle buyers? It's the second one. <laughs> but yeah, LTV of bottles. I mean, here's the thing. It's like once you have a bottle, you have a bottle, right? 
But, and this is going to sound corny, this, this is not just a bottle, right? It's this experiential gift. So we are getting people that are like adding to cart three or four different bottles that we have just because they're all different and they all tell a different type of story. So I will say our LTV, still I mean, it, it doesn't outweigh it enough to the point where our LTV is just like crazy high on bottles. Uh, you're exactly right. It is lower. But to buy apparel, women's apparel, and then convert them to bottles, that's a lot simpler. Now, we haven't been measuring LTV a whole lot right now, only because it's very obvious to us. We look at our orders and we're like, okay, a lot of people are buying just the bottle or you know, we're seeing people buy the pants and a bottle. So we already know that our apparel buyer's LTV is much higher. So once we create a larger product offering, which will be likely in spring, summer, this next coming year, that's when we'll really start investigating, okay, where, how can we drive higher LTV? And then, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of our community aspect too, right? That keeps, that keeps lifetime value, that keeps recurring customers. Analogy I like to use is Apple. They develop, they, they only create a few products and they don't, their products are pretty much the same year over year, right? But people keep buying into it because they're loyal to the brand. They like the concept and the idea of the brand. So they keep buying into it. So that's kind of what we're trying to do is we're creating this mission to buy into the brand. So that way we can drive that LTV and we get loyal, long-time customers. Yeah. And I think in your industry in particular, customers have a, they really have a nose for phoniness. You know, they can just smell it. Like they just, the outdoors industry, you just know, like these people are us or they're not us and people can just tell right away, you know? And and I, I think that the way you're thinking about this is really interesting. This idea, like we care so much about the brand. How do we build into this? On the one hand, we have this really, big smash hit viral product. On the one hand, we want to build something enduring and durable. That's, it's actually kind of a, it's, a, it's a real challenge. On the one hand, you want to take the sales and take the growth and let it fund all the rest of the things you're trying to do. And for that matter, you want to chase that down as far as you can take it because that's great too. And honestly, it's probably part of it fulfills your mission in a meaningful way, right? Like I bet the bottle, the bottle in some ways is a celebration of where you've been for all the stickers you put on it for the, when you first got the bottle, right? If you've been to 20 national parks, and somebody gives it to you. Great. But it's also a down payment on the places that you'll go, right? It's like, okay, now I got to make my way to dry Tortugas or whatever and f get to this really hard to get to national park. And so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a really cool element of sort of fulfilling your mission at the same time. But you talked about community earlier and community events. Do you, what do you do? You said you got two or 300 people to show up to these events. What kind of events do you guys do? And, and I'm also curious for you to talk about how you work the brand and the product into those events. I'm just curious sort of obviously with a brand sponsored event like that, you're going to put your name on it and make sure people know it's you guys and all those things. At the same time, you know, you don't want to just go there and like you show up and it's actually just like a retail environment, basically. So uh, how do you guys think about that? Yeah. So, I mean, so our, our community events, we have three big events every year, one focused around LGBTQ, one focused around women, and one focused around the BIPOC community. And each of those have 200, 300 plus people. These are all in the LA area. And they're climbing events. So we have, we have a lot of free tickets. We have subsidized tickets. And then it's also a very social growing event. It's just an opportunity to, to network with other people who are new to climbing, who have climbed before. And then we also have our, our smaller events. We just had here at our headquarters, 
a hike and yoga event where we had about 30 to 40 gals go on a hike and then they came back and we had a, a certified yoga instructor teach, you know, do some yoga. So yeah, with this, we are putting our name there, but it's really important that we are giving that community aspect back. And it, like you said, we don't want it to be a retail environment. But what we're doing to continue to drive that growth, besides having our name on banners and everything, is we're partnering with other large name brands as well in the outdoor space. So our next event on October 15th is our Climb with Color for BIPOC people. And I mean, it's sponsored by REI. So having the additional sponsorship is just another way to one, build reputation, say, okay, these guys are serious, right? Like they partnered with REI on this. And two, it's just another way of exposure, right? And then on top of that, what we'll do is we'll have some of our best-selling products like our pants and our water bottle, and we will sell our products there at 50%. And that might seem crazy, but to us, that's a wholesale. I mean, we're still making money. It's wholesale price, right? And then at the same time, it's this idea of we're making money, so we're also getting this brand awareness and exposure because to them, it's like, oh, I'm getting an insane deal. And for us, we're just building brand awareness to our target market. Like the idea is that we get everyone in our pants, in our shirts, using our bottles, because what that's going to do is that's just going to be seen across all the other gyms, across all the other outdoor spaces. And they'll be like, where'd yeah. you get your pants? And that happens all the time. Yeah. And in marketing towards communities that are real communities. And that word is important here, I think. Like I'm thinking here specifically of when I've done a lot of marketing into the CrossFit space for different brands. And those same thing, people could tell if you're authentic or not, and, and you have to work hard to be part of it. But once you're part of it, people will accept you and, and, and you'll be a badge brand in the community and you can do that. In those communities, the thing is, events, I think, do not reach, you cannot think of it as like a a reach play per se, right? Not, not at least at first, right? It's like, it's a depth play because the kind of people who show up, like for example, when we went to the CrossFit games, when I was with Kalo, the Silicon Weathering Company, not everybody in CrossFit goes to the CrossFit games, right? It's only so many people or whatever, but who does go to the CrossFit games? All of the most hardcore CrossFitters at every gym. And so if they come back wearing a Kalo ring, you've gone, they have seen you there. They've seen your experience there. They, they are now like the hardcore people who are going to be in the gym probably outlifting other people, et cetera, you know, like, and then they can go carry their own. So my guess is there's something similar going on with your event, right? Where it's like, you know, you are in a community and it, especially if you're doing something where it's like specifically targeting like a sub community, really, you know, where it's like not just outdoors, but women, not just outdoors, but BIPOC, not just outdoors, but LGBTQ. Like those are now you've got like a, a double enthusiast kind of community, right? It's like identity in two places overlapping. And you're saying we're part of that. Now those people are going to say like, yeah, we, you, you really are part of that because you've taken the time to invest in us in a way that's really authentic to who you are and to, to who they are. And that's my feel for how a lot of those kind of event type things go. On a pure, straight up ROI reach kind of basis, the stuff the digital markers are really used to, to measuring, I'm not sure it works that well. But on the actual, like if you're trying to build an enduring brand with a community of people, man, that is like awesome what you guys are doing. It's, it's a really cool play, I think. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, like, like I said, we're having, and we sponsor other events too, right? We have a department dedicated to that. So 
we are getting our name on everything, especially climbing related. Our, our name is going to be anywhere that's like a climbing competition, a climbing social, anything. We, we will be there. So people are really starting to associate our name with the climbing space and the outdoor space because every time I go to the climbing gym now, there are people wearing our pants. Like it's just like a given every time now. So, and like you said, the people attending these events are the brand loyal people, right? So it's just like, it's clearly working and we are building that community. I mean, we're getting 200, 300 people per event and it's, yeah, I mean, we're hoping just to continue that growth. Awesome, man. That's really cool. Tell me about adding people from more staffing. What have you added so far to your team? I know I've added at least one team member. So talk about that a little bit. You heard about it on my show, I think. Yes, I sure did. Yeah, no, that, that was probably, I mean, it was super valuable to, to hear about it. I mean, you're sponsored so much by them that I, I like had to look at it. Right. So I, I took a, you know, I took a look at it and I talked to them and I'm like, yeah, I actually heard about you from Andrew's podcast and like, oh, because they gave me the whole rundown of the company and what they do. I'm like, oh, I've, I've heard it. I know, I, I know the pitch. Yeah. So we, we've hired one customer service associate that works over in the Philippines and we love her to death. She's fantastic. The whole hiring process was one of the, it was so easy. They made it super simple. You know, we had like an onboarding call, what we're looking for. They sent us resumes. We said, we like these folks. They set up the times and they just had them back to back to back in, in regards to the interviews. And from that, it was like, they screened everyone for us. They did all of the legwork. We just had to do and conduct the interview and make the decision. Yeah, it was really, honestly, a seamless, fantastic process. That's great to hear. Any issues with English speaking or with time zone difference? I know sometimes people are really concerned about adding remote team members based on those two things. Understandably so, honestly. Just curious right. if you've had that come up at all and how's that worked out? I would say if you're considering hiring someone overseas, the people that they're bringing to you already know that that is one of those barriers. So they like to, you know, they make sure that they're working around that, right? So we are having no, in terms of time difference, like, of course, there's a difference, but it's not impacting our, our you know, when we need this person. So she's been, I mean, we're also blessed to have this super, her name's Queenie and she's, yeah, she's fantastic. She's super flexible. And her English is, it's impeccable. So she's wonderful. She's very personable. We want to fly her out here at one of, one of these days, but she, she's great. Does she work US hours? You're in LA. I don't know where the rest of your team is, if it's in LA or if it's remote, but does she work US hours or does she work a different time? Because I, I can actually imagine a customer service employee having it actually be particularly valuable to have that person not on US hours in some ways, because it would probably speed yes. up your response time when people don't expect it. But I'm not sure how you guys are exactly. handling that. Yeah, exactly. So we're looking at hiring another individual for customer service from more staffing. And yeah, I, like we, we have her currently working split hours. But like you said, with our huge uptick in traffic, yeah, having someone working those off hours and responding to those tickets during those times. I mean, yeah, it's just like customer service is such a big thing that everyone forgets about. Like everyone forgets about. And that's like one of those last points of contact or actually even one of the only personal points of contact that you'll ever have. So to have that experience, a positive, good experience that reflects your brand that you want it to is just, is crucial. So 
yeah, I, I went on a tangent there. <laughs> but no, I um, no, I think you're totally yeah. right. I think it's I think you're totally right. I think it's like one of those things where customer service can be hard to measure. It can be all about cost savings for people. But the truth is like people just love it when they have good experience with customer service. And it's often like the flip experience. I've seen this a million times where somebody reaches out to customer service because they had a bad experience, right? Oh, my product came and something was wrong or da da da. And then when they have a good, so now they think less of the brand, but then when they have a really good experience with a good quality customer service agent, it actually goes, not only gets you back to sort of like middle uh, status quo, where it's like, okay, fine, they fix it. But it will actually make people think highly of the brand because actually like the real true jerks out there are pretty far, few and far between who are just going to like put you through the ringer no matter what. Most people sort of understand that mistakes happen and that when you labor to fix it and to do a great job, they are really happy to to be like, oh, wow, this company actually cared about me. They made a mistake, but everybody makes mistakes. And this company not only fixed it, but they went above and beyond. And so, yeah, it makes sense to me the way you'd say that. Like you want somebody who you trust and who you think can like represent the brand well, because it's going to be the only human interaction they have with the brand. So yeah, exactly. And not I, one more thing I wanted to mention, like we've had a few customer service associates here in the US, but I, I mean, you know, it, it depends on the person that you end up ultimately hiring, but from the gal that we hired, she's been better than a lot of the uh, customer service reps that we've had here in the U.S. Like, it's just, it's really night and day. And I'm not just saying that for this segment. It's just like, you know, like, I've talked about it with my director of ops, and she's like, oh, yeah, she's, you know, she's not just a customer service rep. We're using her position also as a sales position as well, because there is that opportunity to discuss directly with our customer because we have that customer chat. And she's just like very helpful, very polite, just very emotive. And I think that's important is to not just sound like a robot, just feeling like a real human being. Awesome. I love that. Oh, that's great to hear. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I actually, it's funny, like I have had good experiences working with more staffing and I love them as people a lot. I think they're fantastic. And so uh, it's been cool to hear uh, good experiences that people are having as well. It's very important to me on my show that the people that I'm working with are people that I trust and like. And yeah, so that's awesome. Glad to hear it. Wayne, tell me about the future of Wondry. What do you want it to be? Where is it going? How big are you trying to get it? Anything you can say about sort of the vision for where it goes from here so we can root for you. So we can bring you back in a year when you get there and and hear the story. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest thing is we want to be the women's outdoor brand. So we're doing that just by building out these collections and like full collections of different types of pants for climbing, for mountaineering, all sorts of things. And we want to be also known as like the brand that gets people outdoors and actually gets people outdoors. You kind of alluded to this earlier, but a lot of brands are, you know, they either they're greenwashing or they say they do all the social impact. A big thing for us is doing the social impact. So yeah, that is cool. such a core thing to us. So when I, what I want is for he, for when I mention Wondery or someone mentions Wondery, they're like, oh yeah, that, that brand that is always taking people climbing and stuff. That's kind of our wish. And like, that's, I, I want people to know our brand as a notable outdoor brand. I love that. It's awesome. Wayne, is there anywhere people can follow up with you? They can go to, of course, WonderyOutdoors.com and go get themselves a bottle and some pants and some other things uh is there any anywhere else that people should be following you or staying connected to you or anything like that or is it just go to wondry's <laughs> website 
and then sign up and go meet you in person if you're in LA and come to a climate. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn, my name, and then I I am on Instagram. Make sure I don't you really roll the R. Too much. Yes, yeah. roll the roll the R because I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't really. But yeah, I'm also on Instagram, Weber Wayne. You can follow me. I post some business stuff on there and climbing cool. stuff is all I really do on there, but. Great. Those links will be in the show notes, of course, as well. Wayne, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk about it. Congratulations on the success so far. It is really cool to hear how far you guys have come, how fast you've come, and and, and where it's going from here. So, Thank you so much, Andrew. I really appreciate it. All right, there's my episode with Wayne. I hope that was helpful to you. That story of a mega smash hit product it sort of takes over your whole business in that way, while at the same time you're building alongside of it, I think is a, is a really fascinating place to be. I've seen it actually happen for other businesses as well. So I was glad to hear Wayne chat about that a little bit. Of course, from this episode in particular, the place you should most be looking to follow up to add team members to your team, whether it's in customer service or anywhere else in your business, is with more staffing, as they say, and as I think is totally right. Virtual assistants can be helpful. Virtual professionals can be uh, revolutionary in your business. They can make a huge, giant impact. And so consider working with more staffing. You heard Wayne talk about it in this episode. Go to morenow.co. Link is in the show notes, morenow.co, if you want to go check that out. Otherwise, thanks so much, and I will see you next time. Hey, 